Welcome to the eighth segment of KALA This Week. I'm your host, Bailey Winfrey, and I hope you had a great week. Today we will hear a variety of things, including sports, recipes, and even something on the Day of the Dead from our usual contributors. Let's jump into the first story. Hey guys, this is Abby Varkalis, and I'm back with another scary movie review. So this one was like a horror thriller movie, so best of both worlds. Um, It's called Terrifier 1, so obviously there's going to be a second one here, and I will definitely have to watch that next week. So this came out March 15th of 2016, so I'm definitely late to the game, and that's kind of embarrassing for someone who really likes scary movies. But this was about an hour and 20 minutes, so honestly not that long, and unfortunately it was 56% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is not the best, and that was kind of proven throughout the movie, if I'm being completely honest. Um, you can watch this on Amazon, Shudder, and Fubo TV, so lots of different places. And the cast consists of David Howard Thornton, which in which he plays Art the Clown. That's kind of like the the scary person in this. Um, Jenna Cannell, and she plays Tara, and she was also in The Bye Bye Man in 2017. So I don't know if a lot of you have heard of that movie, but it was pretty popular. I have not watched it, so yet again, embarrassing for me. And then Samantha Scafidi, and she plays Victoria. And a lot of these people I have, I've never heard of before. Like even Jenna Cannell from The Bye Bye Man. Like I just, I've never heard of these people. And according from, according by imdb.com, they said that on Halloween night, Tara Hayes finds herself as the obsession of a sadistic murderer known as Art the Clown. So this has a very Um, Michael Myers type feeling to it this whole entire movie does and Art the Clown is kind of like the Michael Myers it's like the the Halloween movies and even though that this wasn't the scariest movie for me I was definitely disturbed by the clown and I'm usually completely fine with clowns which is it's really funny because in this movie Art the Clown was terrifying hence the name like I the makeup and the special effects he had and everything it was just it was very very real looking. And that was something that scared me. And honestly, throughout this movie, it wasn't that it was scary for me. It was very disturbing. There wasn't really a lot of jump scares. It was just a lot of gore, a lot of blood. And I'm honestly not a fan of that. But for someone who is a fan of like gory movies, like this would be a perfect movie for you. So not something that I'm necessarily into. And it was kind of the the question that was kind of ongoing is will they all die in the end? Like, this this clown is targeting these people on Halloween night, you know, the same as Michael Myers. So is he going to kill everybody? What's going to happen? Who's going to survive? Is there going to be a main person that kind of, you know, targets him and or that he targets? So you kind of follow him. And it's with uh, the first movie is about like two teenagers and their best friends. And um, they're starting to get stalked by this clown. So you kind of figure out along the way what he does. So it's definitely, definitely a thriller. So I gave this movie a 5 out of 10. And the reason why I gave it a 5 out of 10 was because it wasn't super scary. It was more disturbing, of course. And I think I gave it a higher rating than the last movie, um, for sure, because it was the clown, honestly. Like, the faces that he made and the stuff that he did really freaked me out. And I did not like it at all. And um, 
which I thought, you know, was good for the movie, of course, but that was the part that definitely freaked me out. And also, you know, given that it's Terrifier 1, there is a Terrifier 2, which I will probably be reviewing next week. So definitely stay tuned for that one. And when it comes to recommending this movie to somebody, if you don't like gore, do not watch this. And of course, not someone who likes gore. I still watched it anyways. But if you're someone that just like gets extremely grossed out very quickly, I would not watch this movie. Definitely not recommend it. But if you want to be scared by a clown, I would recommend it. So, but yeah, I, not the best movie, but also not the worst movie that I've ever seen, you know, when it comes to scary movies, but I would give it a try if you can anytime so but yeah definitely stay tuned for terrifier 2 because i heard that one is a lot scarier than terrifier 1 okay thank you guys hello listeners we are back with another cc stress-free recipes on this week's kala's magazine show now although this was a trend on tiktok a while ago the grinder salad sandwich made history as so many people replicated this famous sandwich. It is cold outside, so we are staying indoors, but it can get steamy in our room, especially in the dorms. So why not chill out with this amazing sandwich? You may be asking, Sierra, what is a grinder? Well, it is just another name for a sub sandwich, like a hoagie. Different regions often have different slang for the same thing. The term grinder is more commonly used in New England states, like Connecticut and Rhode Island. They mainly say grinder more than anything else. A grinder sandwich uses a variety of deli meats, like turkey, ham, capicola, and salami. Provolone cheese is the perfect melty cheese for this sandwich. You can really use any combination of deli meats that you like, and instead of provolone, you can use Swiss cheese. The origin of Grinder is not well known, though it is said that the name initially came from the tough Italian bread used to make the sandwich, which you would have to grind your teeth through. If you want to up your sandwich game, then you absolutely need to make this Grinder salad sandwich. And just like last week, a little disclaimer, all of these recipes are not meant to cure any disease that is flying around campus or through the air in the entire world. So do not rely on these recipes to satisfy anything except for your hunger. Now let's begin with the ingredients. The ingredients you need to make the famous grinder sandwich are as follows. Mayo, red wine vinegar, garlic, black pepper, dried oregano, red chili flakes, kosher salt, pepperoncini, red onion, iceberg lettuce, and bread. The nice thing about this sandwich is that the ingredients are very interchangeable and personal to your own taste. You can add as much mayo or meat as you want. It is truly up to you. First, let's make the salad to go inside the grinder. Whisk together the mayo, red wine vinegar, minced garlic, black pepper, oregano, chili red flakes, and salt until combined. Add the sliced pepperoncinis and sliced red onion and stir around in the dressing until all is coated. Add the lettuce and using tongs or fork, toss it in the dressing to coat. Set aside. Now preheat the oven to 350 degrees Fahrenheit. Cut the bread in half and place it on a sheet tray cut side up. Remove most of the inside of the bread, leaving about one half inch of the bread left. Add half of the provolone cheese to each side. Place in the oven until melted for about four or five minutes. Layer the ham slices on one side of the sub. 
and layer the salami on the other half, or any kind of meat you want. Top the ham with more salami slices, and then top the salami with some pepperoni. This is just my personal preference with my meat choosings, but you can add turkey or whatever you want. Place it back in the oven to warm up the meat and to toast the bread for about another five minutes. Remove from the oven, then sprinkle the tops of the meat with some Parmesan cheese. Add tomato slices, then drizzle the tomatoes with olive oil and add salt and pepper to taste. Next, add some of the beautiful grinder salad that you made earlier on top of the sandwich. Top that with the remaining Parmesan cheese. Add the top half of the sandwich over the bottom half and then press down gently to combine even further. Cut into slices and serve with more of the grinder salad on the side. As you can see, the grinder salad sandwich is very versatile and up to your likings. You can choose whatever you want to this salad sandwich and it honestly will taste good no matter what. Thank you so much for listening in on this recipe and I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you. Hi, this is McKenna Verde on KALA this week. I am here with Fabian to talk about the Day of the Dead. What is the Day of the Dead? So, Day of the Dead is a pastime holiday celebrated by the indigenous people of Mexico. And basically, it's a day from October 31st to the 2nd, which it's believed that all souls that have passed are let out of heaven and the past life to come visit their family members through prayer and is celebrated through like altars called ofrendas which are usually about three levels. So what does this day consist of? What would the chapel be doing on November 2nd? So November 2nd we are hosting our mass and more and we're going to be having pan de muerto which is day of the dead bread and we're just going to cut them in half. Uh, we're making our own little ofrenda for SAU alumni that have passed and any people that want to submit their photos of their loved ones and we usually just put out a spirit plate so those who don't uh, do visit us from uh, like this uh, spirit world basically have something to eat we light up candles so they know where to go and we usually put up marigold flowers so it's uh, it attracts it's like believed to attract the spirits definitely that sounds amazing so how does this work why is it special what does it mean to you um how it works is usually people go to the burial sites of their loved ones clean it up decorate it with marigold flowers um, put sometimes skulls to represent the dead and candles like i said to help guide the, their loved loved ones and then spirit plates also to help replenish them after their long journey and uh, like water as well so it's basically everything you're just having a, a feast with your past loves and what it means to me I would say would uh, so I have lost uh, obviously everyone has lost loved ones and I like to think of my grandpa and my aunt Monica as those who are a big part of my life and I can celebrate with them through prayer and every time I could you know around this time I feel a lot closer to them and the values that they instilled in me throughout life and just kind of be with them a little longer Definitely, that's very beautiful. Thank you very much. So November 2nd, Campus Ministry is hosting the Day of the Dead. What are they going to do about it with it? So what we plan on doing is bringing in Pan de Muerto, which is Day of the Dead Bread, and also setting up an ofrenda for those loved ones that have passed. And basically an ofrenda is an altar that we put candles, a spirit plate for our loved ones to feast on, and photos and marigold flowers to commemorate them and invite them with us in, in prayer. And it'll be hosted by Pastor Guermo, and we're having it from 9.15 to around 10.15 p.m. with our more being Pan de Metro and Orchata. So everyone is welcomed. We're just gonna 
celebrate Day of the Dead and pray for our loved ones. That sounds really great. Thank you very much. Anything else at all? No, not as right now. No. All right. Thank you very much. This is McKenna Brown, K-A-L-A, this week. Thank you. Hello, KALA listeners. This is Anna Berry with KALA This Week. Today, I am joined by Taylor Kilgus and Skylar Bowery, the president and vice president of the Museum Enthusiast Club. Hi, Taylor and Skylar. Thank you so much for coming and talking with me today. Hi, thanks for having us. Um, why don't you start by introducing yourself to the listeners? I'm Taylor Kilgus. Um, I'm originally from Pekin, Illinois. I'm a junior here at St. Ambrose, uh, majoring in history, art history, and women and gender studies with minors in museum studies and theology. And then I'm also the president of the Museum Enthusiast Club. Hey guys, my name is Skylar Bowery. I am the vice president of the Museum Enthusiast Club. I am a history major, an art history major with minors in museum studies and in classical studies. I'm a, I'm from Davenport, Iowa, so I'm pretty local. And I am also the vice president of the History Club. Awesome. Very well-rounded, both of you. (laughs) Now, both of you are involved in the Museum Enthusiast Club here at St. Ambrose. Um, What is this club? So this club was originally the the League of Art History Enthusiasts was the original name. And then it uh, eventually got shortened to Art Art History Club. And then now, um, last year, we changed the name to Museum Enthusiast Club to sort of widen our range to more students outside of the art history major. Um, So anybody who's like enthused about museums is welcome to join. Um, We typically visit a lot of the area museums in the Quad Cities throughout the semester. and then we take some shorter trips um, also throughout the semester. Two weeks ago now, we went to the Iowa City um, Stanley Art Museum um, that just opened. So that was a new adventure for all of us since it just opened. That was pretty fun. And then we've gone to like the Family Museum before and the Figgy. And um, a lot of us in the club who are also in the program work at the museums in the area as well. So. That's awesome. Now, I hear there's an upcoming event that is taking place next week called Night at the Figgy. Uh, Would you mind describing what this event is? It's an event that is sponsored by the Art History Museum Studies Program, but we commonly, as museum enthusiasts, we have our annual art auction there, Mm -hmm. and we hold it at the Figgy Art Museum. So we have a whole bunch of clubs that are coming and coming out to support, and we also, we have art that we use our proceeds to the club yeah very neat and who's invited to this event as the museum enthusiast club partners with our history museum studies program we reach out to as many clubs on campus as we can not um all are unfortunately able to attend but the ones who did rsvp and told us that they were coming this year um are the art club black student union design hive and actus Engineering Club, History Club, Latinos Unidos, um, the Military and Veterans Organization, Mecca Hive Robotics, then Museum Enthusiast Club, and then the Society of Women Engineers, uh, STEP, which is the Service Dog Training and Education Program, and then Triota, which is the Women and Gender Studies Honor Society as well, as are all attending. And then I believe that... Um, Dave Baker is doing a live broadcast with KLA as well. KLA will be there. (laughs) Yes. Um, And is there an admissions cost? Um, So with SAU student ID, um, the university has a institutional membership. So anyone who shows their ID 
um, gets in for free. And then Thursday nights after five, the figgy is free to the public as well. Very interesting. Very interesting. And then what do you hope this event will do for the SAU and Quad Cities community? Um, hopefully, hopefully we get we get as a member of museum enthusiasts and St. Ambrose, we get a taste taste in the Quad City area saying like, hey, we're out there. We're out there and we we get involved quite a lot in our community. So we want to just be out there with our community. As um, the Figgy is open to the public Thursday nights, that's why we picked to have it then. Um, we hope that by having all the clubs there and um, the student awareness there that other people in the Quad Cities will see like, oh, St. Ambrose has all these amazing clubs and um, they're really involved within different places in their community as well. So that's a big goal of it too. Definitely. And then what, do you, uh, what can attendees expect while they're at the museum and at this event? Well, you get to see see the art, the art museum, the Figgy Art Museum, which has a considerable amount of art for the general public to see. We um, have a scavenger hunt this year that helps them to look at the art and look for different things in it. And and of course, of course, looking at the amazing, amazing art that we have, have to bid on and interact with all the clubs that we have coming. So the Museum Enthusiast Club has their art auction, as we previously mentioned, and all of that art is donated by um, different people on campus, so it even raises awareness for student artists as well, and then some of the professors that donate art. Um, But then also a lot of the other clubs will do fundraising opportunities there as well, whether it's selling stickers and buttons, or I think engineering clubs sold some like glasses last year, 3D printed stuff. so it allows for even other clubs that are invited to get some uh, funds for whatever activities they have as well. That's amazing. That's so cool. And I'm, you know, it's very interesting and something I haven't been to the Figgy Art Museum yet, but I'm really excited to attend the event and, you know, get to see a new place around the yeah. Quad Cities. So is there anything else you would like to say about this event or about the Museum Enthusiast Club? Um, I, I mean, I don't know what other clubs' funds go to, but I know that our art auction that we put on helps fund our spring trip, which um, last year and then this year as well, we're able to open up to campus because the auction has allowed us to do so well, as well as funding from SGA and um, CAB that allows us to do that. This year, we're planning on going to Chicago to visit some of the museums up there. I think um, the ones on the table are like the big ones, the Science and Industry Museum, Shedd Aquarium, Field Museum, and the Art Institute of Chicago was the um, fourth one on the list. So they aren't super finalized yet, but it allows us to invite all of campus to the uh, spring trip with us, and normally we have a pretty good turnout for that. That's amazing. Wonderful to hear. So just to reiterate it, if you are interested in attending Night at the Figgy Art Museum, it is this coming Thursday, November 10th, 4 to 8 p.m. at the Figgy Art Museum in downtown Davenport. Thank you so much, Taylor and Skylar, for joining me today. And thank you, the listeners of KALA, for tuning in for this week's episode of KALA This Week. Once again, it's Anna Berry, and I'm signing off. Hello, KALA sports fans. This is Ryan Schistel back with yet another sports segment on KALA This Week. In this week's show, I will be discussing women's soccer, basketball for both the men's and women's teams, women's volleyball, and then football. The women's soccer team comes into this episode with a record of 12 wins, 3 losses, and 3 ties overall, and then a conference record of 10 wins, 1 loss, and 2 ties. 
the women's soccer team, recently finished off their regular season campaign, ending on a four-game winning streak. This past week, St. Ambrose defeated Bellevue on the road 3-1 this past Saturday. In that game, scoring was Caitlin Brunson in the 57th minute, Taylor DeSplinter in the 70th minute, and then Caitlin Brunson again in the 79th minute for the 3-1 score. Rachel Ouellette, the goalie for St. Ambrose, faced two shots on goal, allowing one and saving one in her 90 minutes of play. Jenna Morrow, the goalie for Bellevue, faced six shots on goal, saving three and allowing three goals in her 90 minutes of play. Then, this past Tuesday, November 1st, St. Ambrose traveled to Calumet in East Chicago in which they won their final regular season game by a big note. St. Ambrose put up 10 goals in the first half and then added three more in the second for a total score of 13 to nothing against the Crimson Wave. Adriana Latham scored the first goal of the game in the third minute, then Kendall Went put in the next two goals in the 9 and 14 minute marks. Taylor DeSplinter then added the fourth goal in the 16th minute, followed up by Haley Wilson in the 17th minute. Haley Wilson then yet again put in the sixth goal of the game, and Grace Kucher put in the seventh goal in the 27th minute. Taylor DeSplinter then had three straight goals in the 35th, 36th, and 37th minute. Then in the second half, Kendall Went scored in the 49th minute, followed up by Adriana Latham in the 60th minute. Genevieve Bauer then put in the final goal of the game in the 66th minute for the Bees to make it 13 to nothing. So when it all boils down, Taylor DeSplinter led the team with four goals, Haley Wilson had two, Kendall Went had three, Adriana Latham had two, Grace Kucher had one, and Genevieve Bauer had one. In goal for the Bees was Rachel Ouellette once again for the first half of action. She faced zero shots on goal. Then Molly McLaughlin came in for the second half action. Again, she faced zero shots on goal, as Calumet in total took zero shots in the game. Out of the 30 shots that the Bees took in the game, they put a whopping 19 shots on goal, scoring 13 and only getting six shaved by Marcia Kielman and Ileana Gallegos, the goalies for Calumet. So it's been a great regular season for the Bees. They finish off on a very high note, and that will lead them straight into the CCAC quarterfinals, which will be played this Saturday, November 5th at noon against Judson. That game will be played at the St. Vincent's Athletic Complex here in Davenport. The next sport I will be discussing is women's basketball, and their season just got started earlier this week on Sunday, the women's basketball team got their season started playing Viterbo here at the Lee Loman Arena on campus of St. Ambrose University, winning 66-57. In that game for the Bees, scoring was led by Janie Prestigard with 20 points. Prestigard also had 12 rebounds and 0 assists. Then Kylie Robleski, another big name from last season, put up 14 points, 14 rebounds, and 1 assist. So those two players earned themselves double-doubles. Anna Plummer also added nine points for the Bees. Abby Walter and Caitlin Thole each shared seven points, as Caroline Cool picked up five and Mel Stewart added on four. Abby Lundquist, although she put up no points in the game, had a good day on the boards and as a team player, having four rebounds and four assists. Coming up for this women's team, they will be playing later on today against William Penn, at the Grandview Classic in Des Moines, Iowa. That game tips off at 5 o'clock p.m. 
Then the Bees will play this Saturday, November 5th, at Grandview, again in the Grandview Classic at 4 o'clock p.m., followed up by a game against Judson in Elgin, Illinois, at 5.30 next Wednesday. This women's basketball team is supposed to be very good this year, coming off of a very good season last year that ended in an early exit in the CCAC tournament. If the Bees had kind of continued that hot streak that they had going all year into the CCAC tournament and ended up winning, I really think that they had a good shot at winning the national championship. Up next, it's men's basketball. Coming off of last season, the Bees finished with a record that was kind of dreary. Earlier this week, the men's basketball team faced off against Mount Mercy on Wednesday. I'll have more on that score in next week's episode when the official score is posted. Now, the Bees will face off against Missouri Baptist in St. Louis, Missouri at the Carl and Dolores Petty SRC. That game tomorrow tips off at 4 o'clock p.m. Then the Bees come home next Monday, November 7th, at 7.30 p.m. to take on Clark at the Lee Loman Arena. Again, this men's basketball team struggled last year to kind of catch a spark and have a winning streak, finishing a few games below that 500 mark. But this is a team that head coach Ray Shevlin is really looking to turn around, and this is the squad to do it with. A lot of key guys who can put up shots from beyond the arc, hit those mid-range, get their big bodies felt in the paint down low. So this is a team that I expect to have a really good season for the Bees. And if they are going to play how a lot of people expect them to, this could be a team that we could see become nationally ranked in the NAIA and a team that can really go on to do some damage in the CCAC this season. The next sport I have to talk about is women's volleyball. The women's volleyball team comes into this episode with a record of 21-8 overall and then a 12-3 conference record. Last Saturday, the Bees faced off against Cardinal Strick in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, winning three games to one. The Bees won the first game 25-18 before losing 25-23 in the second game of the match. Then the Bees bounced back with two more blowout wins, 25-16 in the third and 25-14 in the fourth and final game to pick up the 3-1 win in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Then the Bees traveled to Calumet in Whiting, Indiana, where they swept the Crimson Wave 3-0. The scores in that match were 25 to 15 in the first game, 25 to 21 in the second game, and then 25 to 17 in the third and final game to complete the sweep for the Bees. Then, this past Tuesday, November 1st, the Bees had a very critical matchup against St. Xavier at the Dig Pink game at the Lee Loman Arena here on campus. St. Xavier was leading the conference, the Bees were right behind in second place, but St. Xavier edges out St. Ambrose three games to two, so going all five sets in the match. St. Xavier won the first game of the match 25-23 to before St. Ambrose responded, winning 25-14 to in the second game. Then St. Ambrose gets a lead in the match two games to one after the third game ended in a 25-16 to score in favor of the Bees. In the fourth game, St. Xavier responded to notch it up at two apiece, winning the fourth game 25-19, and then the Cougars of St. Xavier closed it out, winning 15-8 in the fifth match. Now, although St. Ambrose loses, and it looks like that probably won St. Xavier the CCAC this season, it's still an absolutely amazing effort put forth by this woman's team, and they closed out their season yesterday, 
November 3rd or Thursday against Olivet Nazarene here at the Lee Loman Arena. I'll have more on those scores and some of those stats in next week's episode when they are all officially posted to the St. Ambrose website. After that game against Olivet Nazarene yesterday, it is now time for the CCAC tournament, which will start up on November 8th, so next Tuesday. It's not officially listed yet who the Bees will be playing in the CCAC tournament to start off, but whoever it is, I have a good feeling that the Bees are going to have a pretty good seating and they're going to face off against a team that the Bees can definitely win. Now, the final sport that I will be discussing in this week's segment of KALA This Week is the SAU football team, who has an overall record of two wins and six losses, and then a conference record of two wins and three losses. Most recently, the Bees varsity team had a hard-fought battle against Roosevelt at home, losing 17-3. Roosevelt put up three points in the first half before adding a touchdown in the third and fourth quarter. The Bees were only able to add on three points in the third quarter, making it that 17-3 score. And I know when you hear 17-3, you're thinking, well, it's two touchdowns, so how is it that hard fought of a game? The defense played so well against Roosevelt. It's probably the most proud I've been of our defense when we're going up against an actually hard opponent this season. And, I mean, when we went into the half losing 3 to nothing, I still felt really good about this defense, forced a few turnovers, and they just made their presence felt It was just more a matter of the offense for St. Ambrose was just so dormant. St. Ambrose in that game against Roosevelt only picked up five first downs in the entirety of the game, yet the Bees took seven sacks in the game. So if you're taking more sacks and you're picking up first downs, there is something on that offense, especially the offensive line, that is not clicking and needs to be changed, and I will stand by that. This offense needs to be changed up a little bit because something is not working. Tom Casey, the quarterback, went 12 for 19 passing with only 81 yards in the entirety of the game. He also threw an interception late in the game that was just not a good throw. Ended about five yards short of his receiver, and it just it was not a good day for Tom Casey and the wide receiver group. Justin Wright had the most receptions out of the Bees wide receiver core with four receptions for 15 yards. Yemi Ward had three receptions for a team-high 52 yards and a long of 36. Running the ball was a pretty wide margin. Ray Boye, Tanala Chal, and Caden King all got carries in the game. Caden King led the team in attempts with 13 rushes for only 31 yards, a long of 14, and an average of 2.4. Now, if I had to pick out anybody who really played a great game for the Bees, it would be the freshman John Gooch who made his first official start on the varsity team against Roosevelt. In the game, Gooch just, I mean, he played his tail off, and he deserves a lot of the credit for the game that the Bees played. He had two tackles, two broken up passes, but he had the lone interception of the game for the Bees, and on that interception, he ran the ball back for 39 yards. So he definitely gave the Bees a good opportunity to score, and the offense just kind of squandered it by only kicking a field goal on that next drive. Coming up for this varsity football team, the team will be playing at St. Xavier this Saturday at 1 o'clock p.m. at the Bruce R. Deaton Memorial Field in Chicago, Illinois. St. Xavier ranked 11 in the nation right now, so it's definitely going to be the hardest test and probably the best defense that the Bees will go up against all year. After that game against St. Xavier, the Bees finish out their season against Missouri Baptist at home at the Brady Street Stadium here in Davenport on November 12th at 1 o'clock p.m. 
However, for many people who know, KILA broadcasted a JV football game for the first time this year at Augustana College in Rock Island, Illinois. The Bees kept their undefeated season alive in a very close game, winning 12-7 against the Vikings of Augustana. So that means that the JV team moves to 7-0 on the year. That game, a really good game, low scoring for this JV team. It was a very good defensive battle put up by both teams. Both teams were forcing turnovers. A few miscues on the snap for both teams had pushed the offenses back deep into their own territories and made it hard to get first downs. But it got a little chippy at the end with just how heated the Quad Cities rivalry between Augustana and St. Ambrose got. But when all was said and done, St. Ambrose comes out with the win. This JV football team will go to Clark this Sunday, November 6th, for a 2 o'clock kickoff at Burroughs Field in Dubuque, Iowa for the season closure. The JV team, if they can finish off 8-0 undefeated, I think that kind of sets the tone for what kind of team that this B's team will have next year because I have a good feeling a lot of those JV guys will be moved up. Joey Sprinkle, the starter for St. Ambrose in Week 1 who went down with a first-half injury, was suited up in pads for the first time last week against Roosevelt. Now, I don't know if he's going to be the starter for St. Ambrose or not this year, if they're going to roll with Tom Casey the rest of the way through. I think I would personally go with Sprinkle if he's 100% and if he's practicing well. I just think he opens up the playbook a lot more for St. Ambrose. But we'll have to wait and see until Saturday on who will be the starting quarterback. That's all the time and sports I have to talk about for this segment of KALA This Week. Once again, I'm Ryan Schistel. Don't forget to tune in tomorrow, Saturday, November 5th, for the football game between St. Ambrose University and the number 11 ranked St. Xavier University Cougars, kicking off at 1 p.m. from Chicago, Illinois. Again, I'm Ryan Schistel. Go Bees! Thank you for listening to the eighth installment of KALA This Week. All content was written and recorded by Anna Berry, McKenna Verdon, Abby Varkalis, Sierra Mari, Ryan Schistel, and Bailey Winfrey. Thank you to our executive producer, Dave Baker. Thank you for listening to KALA This Week. We will be back next Friday at 4 p.m., and we hope you have a great week.